Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. All right, enough of those announcements that I forgot earlier. Are you ready to get into the Word this morning? And for those of you that aren't, too bad, because we're going to. Why don't you take your Bibles out and hold them up? You know the drill. Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Amen. Well, last week we started a a new series that I've titled Taking Possession of the Promise. How many of you know that God's got a promise for your life? Those of you that don't, you're going to know very soon. God's got a promise for your life. And in fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he states it this way. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bless you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we determined last week that God's got plans. He's got dreams. He's got a promise for us. And it's his plan. It's not our plan. We need to understand that. God's plan in our life is is just that. It's his plan. Why? Because he wants to bless. He wants to build up. He wants to encourage. We also learned last week, though, that, that though it's his plan, we have a role to play. We have to, we have to strap on that sword. Sometimes we've got to kick that door, and we've got to be diligent and vigilant about going after and doing our part in God's plan for our life. It's not going to just it's not going to just come to us and fall in our laps. We talked about how the how the uh, Israelites had left Egypt and they traveled around in the desert and within a couple of months of leaving Egypt they got to the front door of the promised land. They sent out some spies to spy out the land. When they came back, two of the spies, Caleb and, and Joshua, they gave a good report, said, hey, we can take this. This is a good land. This is a beautiful place. It's flowing with milk and honey. They brought back you know, a, a vine of uh, a branch of, of grapes so big that it took two guys to carry it back. But 10 of the men that went, they were negative. They said, you know what? It is a beautiful land. It's, it's great. It's a, it's a great blessing. It does indeed flow with milk and honey. But you know what? There's giants there. They're big. They're so big that we probably look like grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers. And, and oh, no, there's just no way we can do it. It's so big and so scary. And the other two, Joseph and Caleb, they're standing there looking at these other guys. And I can't even imagine what's going through their minds. They look at them and say, hey, don't worry about what those guys are saying. The Lord has given it to us. He's given it to us. We can take it. All we have to do is take it. We got to cross the river and go in. But the poison from the fear of those other two men had already gone through the hearts of that entire nation. And they started coming up with all sorts of crazy ideas. God hates us. That's why he brought us through the desert. God hates us. That's why he broke the the strength of Egypt. God hates us. That's why he's provided for us. God hates us. He just brought us here so he could kill us over here. Like God couldn't kill him in Egypt. Like God couldn't have killed him, you know, 400 years before when there's only 75 of them instead of waiting until there's a couple million of them. God hates us. That's, and how many times do we get these stupid ideas in our heads? God's only brought me here because he hates me. Really? 
Now, you're going to have to do some hard work, but God wants to bless you. Strap on, pull up your big boy pants, your big girl panties, kick in the door, let's go. We got to do our part, but God has good plans in store for us. We're going to carry on today with part two I've titled, Get Ready. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that your plans for us are good. Lord, it does require that, that we get off our seats sometimes. It does require that we do some work, put in some effort. But, Father, we've got the promise of victory in you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive your word. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us hands to do. Father, we'll be quick to give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are jumping into Joshua. This is going to be a study through Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, where I took the title, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 reads like this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land that I'm about to give them. It's kind of a, kind of a wake-up call. I mean, it's not necessarily the thing that you want to hear. I, I really, I know that death is part of life, and I, and I deal with it fairly well. But I still don't like to hear that a friend of mine has died. You know, even, even when I know that that friend, maybe it's a mentor or whatever, it's a, even though I know perhaps that, that they've served the Lord and that they're, they're in a better place now, you know, you can console yourself with all these thoughts, they're in a better place now, but I'm still human and I'm still selfish and I still want to have my friends and my family around me. And so to, to, to have the Lord come to you like he did to Joshua at this point and say, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead, get ready. That's kind of a hard thing to hear, a wake-up call, but we need to understand that, that sometimes when we're heading into the promise, there's going to be drastic and immediate change, and we've got to be ready. You see, when, when Israel refused to go in, it cost them 40 years. When they refused to go into the promised land after being out in the desert for a couple of months, and they decided to listen to the, to the voices of woe and the voices of doom, it cost them 40 years traveling around in the desert until that whole generation was gone. In that 40 years, Joshua went from a young man to an older man. He followed. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was the one that God was raising up to not only be Moses' right-hand man, but to, but to be his successor. And I'm sure Joshua had in the back of his mind this whole time that, hey, I'm just going to follow Moses, and, and we're going to cross the Jordan River together, and he's going to tell me what to do as, as he's done for the last 40 years. He's going to give the command, and I'm going to go out and fulfill it. Maybe he's going to sit up on another rock holding his staff over his head, and, and we're going to fight, and we're going to win. But something happened along the way. We talked about that last week. Moses got upset. He got frustrated. He, he struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. It still gushed forth water. But God said, Moses, because you didn't have enough faith, because you didn't trust me enough to honor me in front of the people, you're not going in. Wow. One mistake in 40 years. I mean, I'm sure Moses did other things, but, but one mistake in 40 years. And you know, God, God holds leadership to a higher account. That's why you need to be praying for your pastor. You need to be praying for your deacons. You need to be praying for leadership. 
Because God holds leadership to a higher account. That's also why you shouldn't want to leap at getting into a leadership position. Guess what? <laughs> the enemy targets you a little bit more. It's not all fun and games, but but we still got the protection of God, but we still got to, we got to be vigilant. So Moses, after 40 years, he gets mad. He strikes the rock. He's supposed to speak to it. God says, you're not going in. Well, you know, how many times has God been merciful? How many times has he been gracious with the people? And, and I don't know what Joshua was thinking, but you know, maybe he's thinking, well, Moses is going back up on that hill. He's just going to talk to the Lord, and he's going to lead us into the promised land, but Moses goes up on the hill and doesn't come back. Next thing Joshua hears is the Lord say, Joshua, Moses is dead. Get ready. You see, a transition in leadership doesn't stop the promise of God. He still has a promise for you. When leadership changes, his word for you is still true. And we need to get ready to go in. I want to drop down into, uh, let's see, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I want you to read along as I read this. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, be strong and courageous. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate them, uh, from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed. Word of God is an important thing. Let it get into you. Get into it so it can get into you. Verse 9, this is my command. Command is a little bit stronger than a suggestion, okay? My command. This is not an option, the Lord is saying. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. He changes it up a little bit. In the second half of verse 9, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. First thing I want you to notice here, I don't know if you noticed, but I tried to highlight while I was reading, and it's highlighted up here, the Lord said to him, be strong and courageous. It's both and with God. It's not either or. He didn't say, hey, either be strong or, or be courageous. Courageous. One or the other is going to be good enough. You know what? You can be strong and have Caleb be courageous. Or, or maybe Caleb can be strong and you can be courageous. No. Joshua, here's my command. This is not an option, so listen up. Be strong and courageous. I want you to be both. Really? Yes. Really. Well, what's that mean? What's it mean to be strong? He's not talking about physical strength. It does, it's not how much you can bench press or how much you can deadlift. It's not about the, the size of your biceps or the, or the strength in your thighs. That's not at all what God is talking about. 
He says, I want you to be strong. That word means to be steadfast. It means to be absolutely determined. It means to be stubborn with a holy stubbornness. Now, there is an unholy stubbornness. The nation of Israel seemed to be plagued with that, but there is a holy stubbornness, and that's what God was calling Joshua to have. I want you to be strong. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 3, God is calling to one of the men who would become a prophet. And in Ezekiel chapter 3, he says something interesting to Ezekiel. I, I, I'm going to flip to it and, and read. I thought I'd just give you a highlight on it, but it's, it's pretty good stuff. So, yeah. Now put yourself in Ezekiel's place. Ezekiel, number one, he, he's been taken captive. Here's a godly man who's been taken captive because the people of Israel, this is several years after what we're reading, I mean, like a thousand plus. But he's, he's a good guy, but he's washed away, wiped away with the wickedness of the nation because the rest of the nation was wicked. God wiped them out, and Ezekiel is, is hanging out with them on the banks of the river, wondering what's my next step. And the Lord appears to him, Ezekiel chapter 3, excuse me, 3. He says, starting in verse 4, The Son of Man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel. So this, this doesn't start out so bad. I'm not sending you to people that you can't understand or that can't understand you. I'm sending you to your own people. They speak your language. They've had the same experiences that, that you have. You've got a common bond with them, Ezekiel. This is, what I, I, this is where I'm sending you. It's not so bad so far. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you can't understand. Surely if I'd sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Wait a minute, I'm detecting a little bit of a change here. You're not sending me to strange people. You're not sending me to, to people that speak a different language because if I spoke to them, they would listen. What are you saying? You're sending me to people that speak the same language, that understand. He says, no, the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they're rebellious. See, God is giving to Ezekiel a holy boldness, a holy stubbornness. This is the kind of strength that he wants Ezekiel to have, and that certainly Ezekiel's going to need because the house of Israel is also stubborn. They don't listen. Oh, we want to serve God. We want to be blessed by God. Okay, throw out your idols. Anything but that. Oh, we'll do anything God wants us to do. Start serving him regularly. Well, anything but that. You really don't know what you're talking about. Yes, I do. Well, we know Moses, Moses is dead. Let's get ready to go. So back to Joshua. God says, look, Joshua, you don't have a choice in this matter. You need to be strong and courageous. I want you to have that, that obstinance. I want you to have that, that holy stubbornness. You've got to be steadfast. When all of the nation wants to go to the left, you've got to go to the right when I tell you to go right. 
When everything's going against you, you've got to be strong. You've got to stand your ground. Church, we could use a little more of that these days. As believers, we're called to be strong and courageous. Well, what's, what's courageous? Courageous, I think, the, the best definition that I've ever heard, and I've, it's been attributed to John Wayne. But courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. Courage is knowing that you're, you're heading towards impending disaster, but going anyway. It's like, it, 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 it's, it's what motivated David when he went up against Goliath. And before he went up against Goliath, he went up against a lion and he went up against a bear. And he was a young man at the time. And he didn't have 30 out of six that I carry out in the woods. He didn't have the 44 that I carry on my side. He had a shepherd's staff and he had a sling. And he knew one thing. These are not my sheep. These sheep belong to somebody else. I'm taking care of them. And when a bear came in, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm quite certain he was afraid. Anybody in their right mind would be afraid. But just because you're afraid doesn't mean you're not courageous. You've got to be courageous. So what did he do? He said, I went after that bear. I smacked that bear. You picture that? Bad bear. Give me my sheep back. He said, when the bear turned on me, I grabbed it by its fur and I beat it to death. <laughs> and I did the same thing with a lion. I've seen lions and I've seen bears. And I like guns. I think people that go after them with bow and arrow are kind of nutty. I like guns. <laughs> I can shoot them from a long ways away and have a head start running. David said, no, I, I smacked that sucker. Took my sheep back, and when he turned on me, I grabbed him by the hair, and I beat him to death. He said, you know what? Goliath, that big, ugly problem in front of me, could be the same way. Not because I'm so cool, but because God is good. But David had to walk with courage to go out there. He's got the entire army. He's got his big brother standing there shaking in their boots. But he had courage based not only in him, but based in his God who had called him. You know how that story ended. Daniel's another man that, that had to act in courage. You know, he, he disobeyed the king's command, and so he was sentenced to be thrown into a lion's den, a den of, a den of lions. I don't know how many, a lot of lions. And, and here's the thing about these lions. They didn't feed them regularly, so they were hungry. So when they would throw somebody in there, they didn't last very long. All right? Daniel disobeyed the king's command. Now, he could have he disobeyed quietly. 
You know, the command was nobody can pray to any God or any person other than the king for the next 30 days. And Daniel, he could have, he could have disobeyed quietly. But Daniel, he's got his habits, you know, he's got his, he's got his way of doing things. And so he just didn't change anything. He just went home, opened up the windows, prayed towards Jerusalem, praying to God because that's where the temple was. And they caught him. Oh, Daniel's praying to a different God. And so they told the king, and the king couldn't find a way out. So he said, well, okay, you got to throw him in. And Daniel probably, he, he probably could have thrown himself on his, on, the, on his hands and knees to the king and begged for mercy. But he didn't. He went with courage to the lion's den. And they sent him down there. And the king couldn't sleep all night. And, and what's, what's Daniel doing? He's petting big kitties all night. I've heard lions roar. I've never heard them purr. But Daniel has. And the next morning, the king comes out and says, Daniel, Daniel, has, has the Lord your God been able to save you? Says, yeah, king, I'm fine. That's cool. The Lord sent his angel last night and shut the mouths of these lions. It's all good. Kept me warm. It's all good. Give you an idea how ferocious those lions were. If you go into Daniel, when they pulled Daniel out, they threw all the, all the satraps, all the guys that had plotted against him, they threw them and their wives and their children in. I think there's 120 satraps. There's a lot of people they threw in. So the lions killed them before they hit the ground. Killed every one of them. They were hungry. But Daniel walked with boldness and courage. He was strong and courageous. Went right up to him, and the Lord stopped them. I can think of another guy that was pretty courageous. His name's Brandon Hollis. I'm not talking about, you know, when, when we came to Ridgefield. I'm talking like 27 years ago when I was just a young buck. Saw this girl that I fell in love with and spent some time with, and I decided, you know what, I need to, I need to ask this girl to marry me. So I asked, for her, I asked her dad for her hand, and he said yes which is a little intimidating. I mean, it's intimidating talking to the, the father of the girl you're in love with. It's a little intimidating having that talk in the first place. And I got my vengeance when Canaan came and talked to me for Courtney. All that pent-up fear and anger that I didn't get to express with my father-in-law, I got to express to my, my son-in-law. It was fun. But, but being, the son of, being the guy that's looking to get the, get the girl's hand, and, oh, my goodness. And, and so I passed the first hurdle. And so I, I'm going to do this on Valentine's Day. I'm going to take her up to, up, up to Mount Pocono. I'm going to I'm going up in the mountains. And, and I like the mountains. And I'll, I'll drive her up there. And then I'll be comfortable enough. And I'll, and I'll propose up there. And so, you know, we're driving. It's like a couple hours from Harrisburg to get up into the Pocono Mountains. And we're talking, which is a good thing. You know, communicating is a good, a good thing. Just a hint for any married couples out there. It's good stuff. And, and so we're talking, we're talking about life. We're talking about the future. And, I, and I'm like, so what do you want to, let's see. Okay, we don't have any high school kids in here, do I? Oh, Skylar. Um, this is what happened with me. I do not encourage this at all. 
I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just lay it out here. I'm not endorsing this, but Deb was a junior in high school. Okay, I was, I was in the Army. I'm a couple of years older than her. And so I'm, we're driving along, and I'm asking her, hey, what do you, you know, what's your plans for the future? What's, what, what are you going to do when you, when you graduate? So I want to go to school, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get married until I'm like 25. <laughs> not going to rely on a man, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to get through school and this, that, and the other. I'm like, really? Interesting. Wow. And, and when did you, you, you want to get married one of these days? When do you think you want to do that? 25. You're 17. Wow. That's, that's super. Super. I had to be courageous. I was determined. I had the ring in my pocket. I spent the money. Spending money will stir up some courage. So we drive and we drive and we, and we, I finally, I'm, I'm looking for the mountains. I mean, this day just couldn't got much better. I'm, I'm looking for the mountains and it's February and it's rainy and I see a, a ranger shack and I thought, they'll be able to tell me. So I pull in, I walk inside and the ranger's having a conversation with somebody. I wait patiently with my, who knows if she's going to be my fiance in the car. I said, hey, she says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, looking for, uh, I'm looking for the mountains. I said, I've been following the signs. It's supposed to be around here. And she said, oh, yes, you are right now on top of Mount Pocono, which is the tallest in the Pocono mountain range. I'm like, no, no seriously, come on. How far am I? She's like, no, seriously, you're, you're on top. Oh, you be where's the snow and where's the cliffs? I said, I don't want to insult you, but mountains have snow on them year round. You know, and there's like these sharp switchback roads. And she says, where are you from? I said, Washington State. She says, this is a mountain out here. <laughs> I said, okay, no offense. So now I'm thinking, I don't even have the mountains to hide in. I said, well, is there anything cool out here? Oh, yeah. You know, the East Coast, if you haven't been there, you got to go to the East Coast sometime because there's just so much American history. And not far from Mount Pocono is the Delaware River. And not far is the Delaware Water Gap. The Delaware Water Gap is where General George Washington went across the river during the Revolutionary War, took his starving, half-frozen army, and crossed the river to attack the British. You got to go down and see the Delaware Water Gap. It's just amazing. Like, okay, how do I get there? She told me how to get there. Drive and talk. I don't remember what we talked about after that. See a sign, scenic overview. I pull in, I get out, I look. Must be down the road a ways. Because it's, it's, like, it's like this little tiny trickle of a river and a big sandbar, and there's a highway on the other side, and there's a, there's a, 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 a big a tube that's got oil or something. or I don't know what it is, oil or sewage. I'm thinking oil. Going across... Nah, it's got to be down the road. So we hop and we drive and we go a little ways. Pretty soon I see in my rear view mirror, see, that was it. But I guess if you're going to cross the Delaware at bad time, you know, you might as well do it in a spot where it's not real big. My day was going from bad to worse, scarier. Got to be courageous. Left there, went to dinner. 
I'm like, let's get this over with. I said, hey, I got something for you. You want it before dinner, you want it after. Now, you got to know Deb. She loves presents. She loves surprises. She can't get enough. And, and she wants them right now. Like, so you want your, you want your uh, Valentine, you want your present before or after we eat? Just, oh, after. <laughs> All right, we'll order something. Let me hurry up and order. And I, <laughs> I get it done. I said, okay, well, we're done with dinner. Um, do you think you want dessert? Ooh, what do they have? This girl doesn't eat dessert. <laughs> she is messing with me. Do you want, well, okay, we'll get dessert. Do you want, uh, you want your present before or after dessert? Oh, after. I think I ordered Jello and just, all right, that's good. Dessert was over. I said, we're, we're done. You're getting your present. I said, close your eyes, put your hand out. I took the ring out. I proposed in fear and trepidation, yet courageous. I just stuck with it. You know what she said? Remember our conversation, 25. She looked at that. She looked at me. It's about time. <laughs> We've known each other like six months. What do you mean it's about time? Let's get out of here before I cry. <laughs> Is that a yes? Yes, yes, it's a yes. Okay, okay, let's go. You've got to be strong and courageous. It's both and. It's not an either or. It's both and. And it's a command. It's not an option. And it was given to Joshua because he's getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But not only is it for him, it's for you and me today. Parents, it's for you and me today as you're raising your kids. You've got to be strong and courageous if you're going to train up your kids in a way that's going to please God. We are living in a, in a day and an age in society. And I'll tell you what, I hear all the time. I hear all the time from young couples. I'm not sure I even want to bring a kid into this world today. You know how long I've been hearing that? As long as I can remember. People were saying that when I was born in the midst of Vietnam. I don't think I want to bring a kid into this world, all the hippies in Vietnam and everything else going on. They were saying it back in Korea. They were saying it back during World War II, World War I. They've been saying it forever. I'm sure... Adam and Eve were sitting there talking, saying, I don't know if I want to bring a child into this world. Messed up as it is, we got to wear clothes and stuff these days. Cain, I don't know if I want to bring the murderers around here. The world is a scary place, and yet God's command hasn't changed, and his promise hasn't changed, and I'll tell you what. I wouldn't be afraid to, I mean, if I was younger, I wouldn't be afraid to bring a kid into this world. Why? Because God's going to equip you with what you need. He's going to, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves you and he loves your kids. And he's, he's going to equip you and prepare you to raise up that kid. But you know what? You got to stay close to him. What did he tell Joshua? Read this word. Study the commands. Get it in you. Parents, we got to be strong and courageous. Grandparents, we got to be strong and courageous. Kids, we got to be strong and courageous because you're facing things that my generation didn't face. You got to be strong and courageous. But as I noted before, verse 9, the second half of verse 9, 
the Lord changed it up a little bit. And he says this, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Now the whole time he's saying be strong and courageous, but now he changed it up. He says, look, don't be afraid or discouraged. Well, what's it mean to be discouraged? It means to lose your courage. It means you get started on the right track, but somehow you get sidetracked. And God is saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous, three times in three verses. Actually, two, if you get rid of verse eight, because it doesn't say it in verse eight. Three times in those verses, be strong and courageous, strong and very courageous, strong and courageous. But now in verse nine, the second half of verse nine, he changes it up. And he says, now, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. That's out of the New Living Translation. Don't be discouraged. In other words, don't lose your courage. Stay steadfast. And there's, there's where the strong part comes in, that, that holy obstinance, that stubbornness. Don't lose the courage that you start out with. You ever stop and wonder why God would say that to him? I mean, this is chapter one. They haven't crossed. They're just getting ready to cross over. I'll tell you why. Because God knew ahead of time what Joshua was going to run into. God called him to the promised land, and he knew ahead of time the things that Joshua was going to run into. In fact, he knew that there was going to be things that would cause a man or a woman to lose courage. We'll run down a little bit of a laundry list here, if you will. You need to know as they were getting ready to go into the promised land that that the Jordan River was at flood stage. It was at flood stage, and, and that's bad enough to try and cross. But you know what? We got God going before us. We got the priest, and they picked up the ark, and, and you can read it for yourself. They, as soon as they stepped their foot in, the, the Jordan stopped flowing. So it got dry on this end, and the water piled up. It's kind of like the Red Sea. It stopped, and they all went across on dry ground. But once everybody got across, and once the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the Jordan River, you know what happened? That river went right back to flood stage. <laughs> you know where they were? They were between the river and Jericho, their enemy, who wanted to kill them. They were in the promised land, sure enough, but they hadn't taken the promised land at all. They were standing in it, but they didn't own any of it. And then the river starts flowing at flood stage. If there's ever a time that you might get discouraged, it's when you realize you're partway there, but you haven't taken it, and there's no way out. I can't go back, because God just set that river at flood stage and I, I could try to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and go back in, but God's not telling me to go that way, so he's not going to bless where the Ark goes if he doesn't command me. The only, way I, the only thing I can do is stay right here and be attacked, or I can move forward. That is a little bit daunting. Joshua had no idea that was going to happen. But it gets even better. Because as they're sitting there, as they're sitting there waiting for the next step, God tells Joshua, oh, now I need you to do something else for me, Josh. I need you to go through the camp and circumcise all the men. 
You see, because for 40 years as they're traveling through the desert, none of them had been circumcised. Everybody was circumcised that left Egypt, but none of these guys had been circumcised. And circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and the Israelites. And so God is saying to Joshua, oh yeah, you need to have that circumcision. You need to have that, that covenant renewed with all your warriors. And if I'm Joshua, I'm going to sit there for just a second and go, you, you couldn't have thought about this on that side of the river? You waited till we're on this side with our enemies right there and the river right here. You couldn't have told me three days ago circumcise these guys. Do you know what happens, Lord, when you circumcise a man? They are rendered ineffective for warfare. They're rendered ineffective for anything but eating and whining. And some of the wives here are saying, man, how long does that last? Joshua can remember the stories of, of when Jacob, his daughter Dinah, was raped, and, and his two sons, Simeon and Levi, went in and said, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and make a covenant with you, but you got to circumcise all your men. You circumcise your men, you can marry our sister, and we'll intermarry with you. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. And so he goes back, and they circumcise all the men. And three days later, the Bible says, while they're still sore, Simeon and Levi walk in with their swords, and they kill everybody. They just wipe them out. And Joshua knows that story. Really, Lord? You couldn't have told me over there. You had to wait till we're over here. You want? I got like two million people here. I got like six hundred thousand soldiers, and not one of them is going to be worth anything. Thank you very much. And the Lord says, "Be strong and courageous. Don't lose the courage you had when you walked across." They circumcised them in. They're completely, totally vulnerable. And then as if it couldn't get any worse, they celebrate the Passover. They eat some of the food from the land. And then the manna stops. This generation only knew manna. God had been providing for them in a special way. Manna was this, this special food, food of angels, the bread of heaven come down, and they would just go out six days a week, and they would scoop it up, and they could bake it, boil it, fry it, and they could do whatever they wanted to, or they could puree it. They could have, you know, manna shakes and, and manna smoothies and, what, and make donuts out of it, whatever. That, but that's what they ate for 40 years. That's all they had. And they get into the promised land, and it stops. The provision that God had given them stopped. Sometimes, church, when we're following the Lord, he's going he's to provide in ways that you never would have thought possible. It's going to be so amazing, and you might get used to him doing that, and all of a sudden, he's going to move you across the river, and the blessing, the provision is going to stop. Now what do you do? Everything that they've known is gone. They're sore, they're useless, they're hemmed in, and they don't have any manna. This isn't Murphy's Law. You know Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. But it feels like it to them. 
This is God's plan. This is God's purpose to draw them close to to him, to encourage them that they can trust him, that he's got this. He can provide for them. He can take care of them. And he's taking them into the promised land. I just want you to know, obtaining the promise won't always look the way that you want it to look. Going in and taking hold of what God has promised you, the plans that he has for you, isn't going to always look the way that you think it ought to look. But it's going to be better than you could have ever imagined. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. No, not chapter 8. I think it's chapter one. I better find this. I misprinted my stuff. Written by the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter one. Written by the Apostle Paul. Most of the time we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of a, a man mighty in the faith. We think of a guy that is, is full of faith and fire, a guy that heals the sick and, and raises the dead. We think of a guy that lays his hands on people and are full of the Holy Spirit. We think of a guy that's walking by faith and not by sight. Nothing can shake this man. And this is what he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. You know what he was saying? Things got so bad I wanted to die. I just wished I could die. It was worse than I could handle. It was more than I had the fortitude for. This is the same guy that wrote in 1 Corinthians, uh, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will give you a way out. And so many people misinterpret that passage. They say, oh, God won't give me anything I can't handle. Baloney, God will take you directly, purposefully into situations you can't handle. And Paul was in one of those. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the hardships that we had. It was tough. It was so bad. We wanted to die. It was far beyond our ability to endure. And the people of Israel were in a situation that was far beyond their ability to endure, but they were going to the promised land. And some of you this morning are in situations that are far beyond your ability to endure. You don't have it in and of yourself. And that's okay. You need to know that. That doesn't mean that the promise is taken away from you. It doesn't mean that Murphy's Law has happened to you. It doesn't mean that God has changed his mind about you. It might just be that you're sitting in the promised land. It's about time for you to take captive the promised land. Because look at what Paul says as he continues. It's far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life, wanted to die. Verse 9, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Couldn't handle it, but God could. Wanted to die, but God raises the dead. It's happened because he had a plan and a purpose. Moving into the promised land. And so I say to you, in closing, God's got a promise for you. When things start getting rough, start going bad, be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged. Don't lose that courage that you had at first. And some of you may have to go back a step or two now and grab back a hold of that courage and put that armor back on so that you can do everything. And when you've done everything, what's Paul say? Stand. Just stand. That's all you got to do. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because God's taking you into the promise. You're going to have to let go of some of the old if you're ever going to grab on to the new. That's the bottom line. Let go of the fear. Let go of the frustration. Let go of the doubt. Grab hold of the strength and the courage that comes from the Father that's taking you in the promised land. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Your word tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Lord, your word tells us that your plans for us are good, plans to prosper and not to harm. God, that you lead us from victory to victory. Lord, your word tells us that, that the things that happened to the Israelites as they traveled through the desert happened and were written down to serve as examples for us. Lord, we stand here this morning knowing that you've got good plans for us. Knowing, Lord, that the word to Joshua is the word to us to be strong and courageous. Both and, not either or. And that we need to be neither afraid nor discouraged. Lord, we are human and we get weak at times. We need help. If you're here this morning and you've, you've lost your courage, you've become discouraged. You need to grab back hold of that. You just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you this morning. It's time to grab hold of that courage once again. God's got great things in store for you. If you haven't got to a point where you're discouraged or you're frustrated or, or you're scared yet, hang on because it's coming. But God's got a plan and he'll see us through. So Lord, this morning I just pray strength, courage, faith, passion, boldness for your people. Lord, I pray that you would draw us each closer to you. Lord, that we would together see your promise fulfilled. Lord, in individual lives and, and in the corporate life of this church, that the promise would be fulfilled. Lord, I pray new strength for those that are growing weary. I pray increased faith, Lord, for those that feel like their faith is worn thread thin. Lord, I speak boldness and courage in Jesus' name to grab hold of all that you've grabbed hold of us for. Now, Lord, I commit to your grace, your people. Lord, let us walk 
in confidence for your glory. Lord, let us see this world turned upside down because of our efforts. We'll be quick to give you the praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. These altars are open. And, and you know, normally I just encourage you, if you want to come and pray, do so. But I, I want to challenge you just one step further. These altars are open, and, and I do encourage you to pray. But whether you come up to the altar or not, if you don't have to zip out of here, and probably none of you have to zip out of here, would you just take a moment right where you're at? You can turn around in your pew. You can sit down in your pew and just spend some time with the Lord. I think we could all use a little more strength, a little more courage, a little more comfort from God. Would you do that for me? Would you do that for yourself? Just a couple minutes. I'm not going to set a timer, but just spend some time with the Lord. And here's a here's a cool thing. Since everybody's sitting down doing that, nobody feels like they're on spot. Just spend some time with the Lord. When it's when you feel that the Lord has said, "Hey, I got this," then feel free to go. But join us, please, in the foyer as we. Celebrate with Skylar as we say, see you later, this fine young man. Lord, as we spend another moment just in your presence, we spend another moment praying. I pray that you would meet each one right where they're at. You know the, the specifics. God, I just pray that each one would walk out of here today with their head held high, able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord, not be because of the preaching or the music, but because they met with you today. I thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.